Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 23. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to praise, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is in the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised, us, raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only at this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of our God. In the past few weeks, we've been taking kind of a wide-angle view of the story of the Bible. We're going to complete that tour today. In the process of this tour of the Scriptures, we have seen that according to the Bible, the world is not a cosmic accident, but instead it is the result of a creative act of a loving God. We discover that we are not here simply because mathematical equations came up to life, but rather there is a personal God separate from from the universe who created us and has a plan for this 
rolling ball of heat in the solar system. He has a plan for us. We are not here by default, but by divine and so by design. And we discover that this is a story that we are living that is not a happenstance series of events, but rather it is an epic drama, a play told in four parts. I wonder if you have any clue what those four parts are. Now, this is something a preacher should never, ever do because it always depresses everybody, you know. But this story of the Bible is a play in four parts, and it's all about creation. And the first act is the beauty of creation. Yeah, it's printed there. Please cheat if you want to on the, on the message notes there. That would make us both feel better. In the first act, we see the beauty of creation. We see that this world is created by God, created to have harmony, or we might call it shalom, between us and God, us and one another, and us in this beautiful world which He made for us and us for it, to tend it, to cultivate it, to care for it, to develop culture which would honor God in the midst of it. That's the beauty of creation found in Genesis 1 and 2. Then we move into Act 2, which is the what? There you go, the brokenness of creation, that something has gone terribly wrong with this beautiful creation, that there has come into it a brokenness, a sickness, a disjointedness, a dissonance within this creation. Yes, it's still beautiful. The parts are all there, but they don't seem to work right. And this is found in Genesis chapters 3 through 11, where we see that humans at the, were, were tempted by the evil one to think that they could live life all on their own to assert their independence from God, that somehow this God who gave them life didn't really care for them. Can you imagine how, how that, this God who created this world could not be trusted? It makes no sense, and yet don't we do it ourselves? We can blame Adam and Eve, and yet we do the same ourselves. We know good and well that we're going to regret that choice that we make right now, and yet we make it anyway, don't we? Maybe I'm the only one. No. There's a brokenness in creation. And so consequently, there is dissonance rather than harmony. Dissonance in our relationship with God. We hide from God. There is dissonance in our relationship with one another. We hide from one another. We blame one another. We, we get mad at each other. We, we get bitter towards one another. We use one another. We manipulate one another. And there is dissonance in our relationship with creation. The culture that we develop is a culture designed to take advantage and to show our independence of of God. Their act two was the brokenness of creation. Then we moved into act three, which was, do you remember? The rescue of creation. How that the scriptures teach us that this is a problem which we cannot ourselves solve. No amount of education, no amount of wealth management, no amount of tolerance training, no amount of all these things will fix what is fundamentally pro- problematic in that we are self-centered people. In fact, the world would be just fine if everybody did my way, right? You know, everybody just did my thing. And so we see that the only way this could be fixed is if God would rescue us. And so we had the rescue of creation. Part one of it was Israel and the old covenant. Part two of it was Jesus and the new covenant. And then we saw last week the fourth of these acts, beauty, broken, rescued, and renewed. Do you notice there's four? The first two start with B. The second two start with R. Beautiful, rescue, It's beautiful, broken, rescued, renewed, right? Yes, that there is a renewal that happens because of Jesus' resurrection. That this renewal was inaugurated when Jesus resurrected. That it was cons- will be consummated when Jesus returns. And that we live now in the midst of that act, the fourth act between Acts 1 and 3, in what we might call the improvisation of new creation. It is this final part 
that I wanted us to take a closer look at today. We only had time last week to hint at what this means, but this is where we live today. And what does it mean to improvise new creation to the tune of resurrection? That's kind of what we're doing. We're playing a new tune here. We're trying to figure out how to, how to follow what God has done so that we can now then be like God wants this world to be, even while this world is still on its own path. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, which spoke about the resurrection of the dead, spoke about the fact that not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but that we one day, like seed planted in the ground, will be raised from the dead. And we one day, like the birth that is beginning to happen, will receive new life. We one day, like the marriage of the Supper of the Lamb, will move into a marriage relationship between heaven and earth. And 1 Corinthians 15 especially tells us about the seed planting. And it says at the end of that statement about the resurrection, the 58th verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Therefore, my brethren, be ye therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, because of the resurrection, nothing you do this day is wasted. Everything you do matters. None of it is lost. Well, what does that mean for us as we seek to be responsive to God's plan for us? Well, as we look at this book of Ephesians, uh, we will learn several things. You can jot them down in your message notes today. The book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It is cosmic and in scope. It summarizes what God has been doing in the world, where the world is going, and what is the church's place in that plan. And that's what we're going to talk about. What is the church's place? Jesus' ecclesia, his church, his called out ones. What is our place in the midst of what God is doing in this, the fourth act of human history. Well, this text gives to us several things that we want to jot down that I think are really important. First of all, it teaches us the goal of new creation. The goal of new creation. Now, we're going to look at this section which Kevin read for you, and I know there were a lot of words in there, and uh, uh, I want you to begin to see it. Let's move up. The The goal is talked about in verse 10 and following, but let's read our way up to it. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. We've been blessed because of what Jesus, our Rescuer, has done. In Him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption. We could say rescue. In fact, the old way to speak about Act 3 is to call it redemption. I just didn't use it because a lot of you don't know what that means, but you know what rescue is, right? We have redemption or or rescue through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Nor has He poured it out on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the, here's where we're getting to our point now, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, 
things in heaven and things on earth. Now, perhaps you didn't see what's being said. Here's what he's saying. All of what Jesus, God did for us in Jesus, giving us forgiveness through what he did, making us part of his family, and lavishing upon us his grace is in order to accomplish his purpose, his will. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Why did God do all of this? What was God's plan? Verse 10 tells us, his plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. When Jesus prayed the Lord's prayer, he said, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on what? Earth as it is in heaven. God, Jesus' prayer was not that we would escape and go off somewhere, but rather that God's will would be done here, the uniting of heaven and earth. Hebrews, excuse me, Ephesians 1.10. To unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And we saw in Revelation 21 last week that when the heaven, when the, when the, the new Jerusalem comes down as a bride prepared for her husband, she comes down and God lives on the earth with men. A remade, renewed, restored earth. Where is this story going? What is the goal of creation, new creation? You can put it down. The unity of heaven and earth under Jesus. Right now there's a fracture. The earth is rebellious to God. Jesus has purchased it, but it has not been fully brought together. He says that what God is planning to do sometime, ultimately, is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and earth. One of the ways of referring to this, one of the ways that that phrase is used is like balancing your checkbook. Remember you used to have a checkbook? Remember you used to balance it? You remember that, those days? <laughs> yeah. And you would try to make everything all add up at the end of the month. You'd find out what was outstanding. You want to bring it all out so you balance it. Really what this text is taking, saying to us, is that someday God will make sure everything all adds up. There will be no sorrow which was wasted. There will be no remainders left out. Every pain, every suffering, every evil, justice will come. It will all come together. If we don't have that hope, there's pain that has made no sense in your life, right? And in people's life. Someday, God will make it all come together under Christ. He will make sure the accounts balance. See? He will bring it together. There will be uniting together of heaven and earth under Jesus. That's where this story is going, that as God at first wanted to walk in the garden with men and see them create culture which would bless creation, it was broken by human sin. God has rescued us. But at the end of the story, the Bible says there will be no temple because God is in the midst of his people. What would it be like? To be on a, have a new body on a new earth with no sin, no sickness, no sorrow, and knowing that God and His glory is here among us. What kind of a world would that be? We can't even imagine it. And because we can't imagine it, we sometimes think it's not true. But suppose you were to speak to a baby in the womb and tell him what life will be once he's out. Could he understand it? No. Would it make no sense? No. 
And yet you and I are all the result of that miracle happening so that now you know what life is like. You're now in the womb again. The Bible says the earth is pregnant until new creation happens, right? Someday you will have new life on a new heaven and a new earth. You can't imagine it. You just can't think of life. But that doesn't mean it's not true. I remember when I looked as a kid and found out that the sun was 93 million miles away. Can you fathom 93 million miles? You can't. And that the light we see, you know, how long does it take? I can't fathom it, but I know it's true, right? I mean, I believe it's true. In the same way, God is going to bring all of this together. He's going to tie all these chapters together in a way we cannot fathom. That's his goal. He's not planning on just throwing the whole thing away. He's remaking it into something new. The new earth will be born out of the womb of the old. The, the new life will come from the husk of the old. You see, that's the goal of new creation. Number two, the proof of new creation. The proof. Of, how do we know this is true? How do we know that this world, which is seemingly from a scientifically po- scientific point, winding down toward its eventual demise, how do we know that there is new creation? How do we know there is life beyond the grave? How do we know it's not just wishful thinking? When people say to us, oh, he's with the angels or that sort of thing, what, are they, what do we really know? The truth is we don't know except for one thing. What is the proof of new creation? The resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. That is the fulcrum upon which this whole thing rests. You and I didn't see Jesus, of course, but we believe the witness of those who first saw him. We find it to be such an incredible story that we know it cannot be utterly incredible. It must be credible. And then once you have placed your faith in Jesus, you know you're not talking to a dead person like Abraham Lincoln. You're talking to a living reality. You ask me how I know he lives? What's the answer to that in, this, in the hymn? He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his love and care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. Right? I don't remember the rest of it, but it's in there, right? How do we know? We have the witness of the evidence of the resurrection, and then we have the witness that we see in people around us who say, I've met him, I know him. And we see them, and we feel like they know him. They're not just saying words when they pray. They believe he's there. And then we place our faith in him, and now we know him. The proof of new creation is Jesus' resurrection. If you don't believe in Jesus' resurrection, I don't know how you can believe in anything beyond the grave. I don't know, because I couldn't. I really couldn't. Now, perhaps if I was raised in an Eastern worldview, I might think about these spirits floating. I might, that might make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. I need to be a nihilist if I'm not an, a theist. <laughs> I just don't, I just think, I don't, but the resurrection makes me believe. And then once I place my faith in him, I know him. There's a relationship. That's the proof of new creation. Let's look thirdly at the power of new creation. The power of new creation. What is it that energizes us? The Bible says when God created the man and the woman, he says, and God breathed into him, and the man became a living soul. 
He breathed. What's that word, breathed? It's the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God. That's the Hebrew word, the Ruach of God. It's the word for wind, for for breathing. It's the word for the Spirit. And what do we see? That we have now the power of new creation because, friends, the Spirit of God lives in you if you've trusted in Him. Look at it in verses 13 and 14, okay? Yeah, I got so excited about the resurrection, I never gave you the proof out of the Bible, did I? Okay, let's go to verses 19 to 21, and there you go. When he gets to the end of his story, and he speaks about all the great things that God is doing, he says, I pray that God would open your eyes, and behold, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us to believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is to be named not only in this age but in the age to come. That means this is my Father's world. This world belongs to Jesus. It no longer belongs to the enemy where the curse has been broken. New creation has come because of the resurrection. And let's talk then about the power of the new creation, verses 13 and 14, where it says these things. In the fullness of time, verse 11, in him, that is in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. That's the new heaven and the new earth having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. That's speaking about the early Christians. In Him you also, that's speaking to the Ephesian Christians. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. What glorious words those are. It says here clearly that when we hear the word of truth, the good news of our salvation. You see, Christianity is not about good advice. It's not about telling you how to live. It's about good news. Good advice gives you something you can apply. Good news tells you something that has happened. Like the government is shut down. That's not good news. <laughs> and that's just, it's just a fact. Relate to it as you will. The good news is that God has rescued us through Jesus, that God came to us. He died for us. He rose from the dead. That's a fact. That's the good news what will you do with it? You see? What do you do with it? It says, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and believed in Him. What does that mean? It means simply that you grasp hold and place your confidence in the truth which has been told to you. Tomorrow, you could decide to go to the Grand Canyon and you'd get in, right? I think. Because the state bailed out the government, right? Right? That's the news, and you can act on it if you wish, you see. You don't make it open or closed, but you can act on that news if you like, you see. In the same way, there is good news about what Jesus has done, that he has rescued you and brought you to him. And as you believe in him, then God breathes into your body, and you become, again, a living soul. Life happens, new life. If that has not happened to you, take a look at your life. Have I really believed in Him? Because once you do, 
something changes in your heart. I'm not saying you get lightning flashes. I'm not saying everything works out perfect. I'm not saying you never have doubts. I'm not saying you don't get mad. I'm not saying you sometimes don't want to kick God, you know. I'm saying that somehow in the deep recesses of your heart, you know it's true. You're kind of like Peter. When everybody else was leaving Jesus because of the hard things he said in John chapter 6, everyone was leaving him because he was saying some hard stuff, and in truth, the disciples didn't understand him either. And so he had a couple thousand people following him, and he preached a message, and he was left with 12. I mean, that's not a very good (laughs) math. And so Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, are you going to go away too, Peter? And Peter speaks something which has been so profound to me. He said, do you know what he said? Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I have had to say that sometimes when God doesn't make sense to me when things happen that don't make sense to me, and when it seems as though maybe others would give up or check in or throw out, I just can't because Jesus is the one who has life. And so Peter, in effect, seems to be saying, (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I don't like your marketing plan. I don't understand anything that's going on here, but I don't know where else to go. You're the one with life, you see. There is the Holy Spirit who comes into your life. Christians love to argue about the Holy Spirit, and that is a shame. We see the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit comes and seals us, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. A few weeks ago, we had a great fun when we went to a ball game with our friends Bud and Pat. They love baseball. I love baseball. They called and said, you want to go to the game with us? And we're in that truck, and they gave us two tickets. They were the deposit guaranteeing our entrance into the ball game. You see, hanging on to those tickets gave me confidence that I would be accepted. You see, having the Holy Spirit in your life is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession. And the thing is, we have that Spirit within us so that we can begin to be energized like new creation. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. Behold, all things are become, passed away. All things are become new. Did I get it right, kind of? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. All things are become new. There is new life. Now you have the desire to read this scripture. Now you have the desire to obey Jesus. Now you feel guilty about things you hadn't felt guilty about before. Now you care about what Jesus thinks more than you used to. Now you have a desire to be with other people who follow Jesus. There is the Holy Spirit. That's number three. Number four, the expression of new creation. The expression of new creation. How does this express itself? Well, we see in verses 22 and 23, in other words, we've been made new, then what happens? We become a part of Jesus' church or the ecclesia. Listen to what it says. After he prays that we would understand the power of the resurrection in verses 19 to 21, far above all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head 
to over all things to the ecclesia, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He put all Jesus as the head over the church. See, Jesus has authority over the whole earth, but the whole earth doesn't yet recognize it. Those who recognize it are the church, the ecclesia, the called, gathered, sent community, the people who've united together in faith and love and hope, people who believed in the gospel, who joined together as a community and are sent out on the mission of Christ. This is how we express our life together. You see, we are meant to be witnesses of God's new creation in Christ Jesus. The life of the church together should be like a slice of heaven here on this earth. Oh, we still have pain and sorrow and suffering and sin. All those things, those are not washed away just yet, but we're seeking to live as the renewed creation, as the new creation in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible doesn't know anything about a free agent Christian. It just doesn't. In fact, if you're a free agent ball player, at some point you've got to find the team, right? Or else you just retired, <laughs> right? That's... <laughs> Or, or you start to coach or something. Um, you see, we should be connected to a family. We need places to apply what it means to follow Jesus. And so verse 22 and 23 tell us that it is the church which Jesus has uh, created. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, it says it. I have also printed it several times in here, but also in chapter 3, verse 9. To bring to light, chapter 3 and verse 9, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the ecclesia we might say, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, he's saying God wanted to use the church to proclaim to the nations His Lordship and His way of living, okay? So we have the expression of renewed creation. Finally then, let's talk about the practices of new creation. The practices of new creation. There are three that you may have heard before. The three practices, I'll give them to you briefly before we read the text. The three practices of new creation are faith, love, and hope. Faith, which restores our harmony with God. Love, which restores our harmony with one another. Hope, which restores our harmony with creation. Look at it in verses 15 to 16 of chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the heart's the eyes of your heart enlightened. I love that phrase, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you and what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. He prays that we would have our eyes opened to the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. What is this? The hope of what God is going to do someday in uniting heaven and earth and living among us, having, letting us have have resurrected bodies in a renewed creation, making culture which honors God and doesn't stick 
your nose up at God as if God, we don't need you, you see. And so we are called to faith, he says in verse 15. And so we come together every week to grow in our faith because we need to be reminded of this good news. Just like Paul had reminded them, you heard the good news. We need to remember this good news about what God has come to us because we live in a culture which tells us that we only matter because of the kind of car we drive or the kind of clothes that we wear, the kind of people that we know, when in fact we matter because God who created us came and gave his life for us. That's why we matter. Every human being is precious in the sight of God. We should treat them that way too. Love also, it says, in the love you have for one another. You see, the church should be a place where the people love one another. This is why it's so important for us to get to know one another. It's a little messy. I mean, Kevin, we can be friends if we see each other just every so often, right? We can talk. But if we really want to love one another, we got to get closer together, don't we? And when that happens, sometimes he's not as perfect as I thought he would be, right? And i got to learn how to forgive him. i got to learn how to get along with him. You see, love has to happen close up. We can impress from far away. We can only impact up close. And so we're meant to learn how to to love. And this love is between all kinds of ages, all backgrounds, love with one another. That's why a small group is so important. I hope you'll get into one. Let us know on the information card if you're interested. And thirdly, hope restores harmony with creation. You see, we're called to remake culture, and I wish I had time to really think and talk about this. In fact, I had at first thought I would try to talk about this, but I found that it was just such a big subject for me that I didn't know I could, could really get it all into my thoughts because we're called to live in our culture and to do our jobs and live as neighbors in a way which brings the blessing of God to our world not just by being a good witness, not just by, but rather the way you go about business. You see, for example, is the business of business to make money? Yes, if you go to business schools often. That is not the Jesus way. You need money in order to have business go. But the business of business is to provide meaningful employment because employment and work is part of the blessing of God. It's part of creation. It's not part of the curse. We all want something meaningful to do. Business gives us jobs that are meaningful, right? That's a good thing. Also, business gives us goods that are helpful to society, and that's a good thing too. It brings resources together and fashions them them in order to serve people, and you need money to accomplish those things just like you need blood to be alive, but you don't live to manufacture blood. Blood happens so that you can live. You see the difference? And if our business is just about making money, we're like the guy who thinks his whole job is to manufacture blood. No, blood helps you serve your mission, which is to provide meaningful work for people to express their God-given uniqueness as God has made them. That's a good thing. Help your business to do that and to serve them well. And also offer meaningful services for people so that we can flourish as a community. That's a good reason. That's the Jesus way, in my opinion. I gave you my sermon right there. That's the best I could get. I couldn't get all the way through because we've got to figure this out, okay? All right, the goal, the proof, the power, the expression, and the practices of new creation as we learn to live in faith, in love, and in hope. 
people will begin to be drawn to Jesus because everybody needs something to believe in. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone needs somewhere to belong. We belong to one another because we've been brought into the family of Christ. Everyone needs something to believe, uh, to, some, some, something to become, someone to become. But if all we ever are going to become is ultimately fertilizer, where's the joy in that? Christianity gives us the idea of becoming something meaningful so that what you do in the world matters. I close with a verse I began with, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. After talking about the resurrection of the dead, Paul said, Be ye therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let us go. Live as people of faith and love and hope so that people know there is something worth believing in, somewhere to belong, and someone to become, to invest their lives in a way that makes a difference. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be witnesses of your new creation. It's beyond our ability to accomplish it. It's all because of what you did. And yet we are thankful that you give to us your Holy Spirit who gives us a desire to know you better, who gives us a desire to know your word, who gives us a desire to love those around us and beyond us, even to all the people as Jesus loved everyone, and gives us the ability to serve and to work in this world in a way that's meaningful. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be people of faith and love and hope so the world may know that money and sex power really don't get us where we want to go. That Marx, Freud, and Nietzsche, they could see through the problems of modern culture but could not provide a solution. Jesus provides that solution. Help us to respond to that in Jesus' name.